If there's an area of your life where you know that things are not as they should be, where you're not living as you should live, let me say this, you can change. By the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, you really can change. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller, and uh, Jonathan, I'm so glad that we're going to spend some time looking at this today because I'm sure in your years of being a pastor, you have encountered many people, had many conversations with people who have said something to the effect of, Pastor, I'm not sure that I can beat this sin. I'm not sure that I can have victory over this area of my life. I'm not sure that I can really change. But based on what you just said and based on scripture, no, it, it is possible for us to change. Well, absolutely. And I think we all go through those times of discouragement. We think I'm just not making progress. I'm not really gaining victory in this area of my life. And I wonder, I, I wonder if, if the Lord is changing me at all. Maybe, you know, do I even belong to him? Sometimes folk will wonder. And uh, I think we can all resonate with that experience, but we mustn't be defeatist. If we belong to Jesus, we mustn't think that nothing's ever going to change till I get to heaven. No, he's given us his spirit, and his spirit is very, very powerful and very, very committed to making the people of God Christ-like and godly and ready for heaven. And so because we have the spirit, there is the real promise and the real prospect of growth and of change. And we mustn't be discouraged. We mustn't give up. Well, today we're going to continue to look at this from the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter 8, so grab a Bible and join us there. If you don't have a Bible open already, we're going to continue our message, A New and Greater Covenant. Here is Jonathan. It's amazing how the world of medicine is being turned upside down in our age by new discoveries and by new techniques. It's one of the key reasons I'm glad, actually, to be alive today and not in the 1840s or even the 1940s, for that matter. One of the medical developments that most intrigues me at the moment is the use of viruses to combat cancer. Maybe you've read of this or know of this. As opposed to blasting cancer with radiation or chemotherapy from the outside, these specially engineered viruses hold out the potential of going in and attacking the cancer from the inside, doing what conventional treatments cannot do. It's thought that these viruses not only attack the tumor cells directly, but they also stimulate the body's immune system to fight the cancer on its own as well. It's well known in Scripture that when the sinful human heart is bombarded with rules from the outside, with law, with external regulation, when the human heart is bombarded with those things, it reacts by sinning more. That's the perverse reaction of the sinful nature. But in the new covenant, God is going to do something radically different. God has done something radically different. By the power of His Holy Spirit, He brings His law within His people. He writes it on our hearts and on our minds. Why should we be thankful that we live today in our era and not in the old era well, here's the first reason. God works from within by His Spirit to transform our hearts, to inscribe His law. And because He does that, here's the key thing, it is possible for us to change. 
It's possible for us to change. It is possible for us to begin to be the people that God has called us to be and God has redeemed us to be. If we're at all honest with ourselves, if we are at all self-reflective, we'll be constantly aware of the problem of sin, each one of us. We'll be constantly aware of our failings in sin, of our battles with sin. We have to admit, each one of us, that we fall short of God's perfect standards in countless ways each hour of each day that we live. That's true of me. It is true of you. That is the reality for each one of us this side of heaven. And as we consider that reality, I think it's possible to get very discouraged. I think it's possible for us to get very dispirited, to become very downbeat. But as we confront the reality of our sin, we need to remember the fact and we need to rejoice in the fact that if we belong to Jesus, God has changed our heart. He's put His Spirit to live within us. He's written His truth inside us, and He is at work within us, making us want to obey. He is at work showing us how to obey. He is at work giving us strength to obey. And so, I just want to encourage each one of us here today, as New Covenant people, we really can change. We really can grow. We really can become more like Jesus. It happens over time. It happens slowly. It happens little by little. It often feels like it's two steps forward, one step back. But if we belong to Jesus, it will happen. And if we belong to Jesus, praise God, it is happening. That's something to rejoice in. That's something to give thanks for. That's something, actually, as a people of God, to celebrate. If there's an area of your life where you know that things are not as they should be, where you're not living as you should live, where you're not enjoying victory over sin as you know you need to enjoy victory over sin, if that's you, I guess it's most of us. Let me say this, you can change. By the grace of God, through the power of the Spirit, you really can change. And I know you can, not because you're strong or determined or capable, not because you're, you're some sort of type A personality who's ready to take the world by storm. No, none of that. You can change because God, by His Spirit, has put a new law in your mind, and He's written it on your heart. He's entered into such an intimate relationship with you that He can say, end of verse 10, that He is your God and you are one of His people. And because of that transformation, because of that relationship, because of that change, and because of that power that comes from God Himself, you can change and I can change. And if you aren't a believer but you're here because you want to change, maybe you're here today because you desire to live a different kind of life and you don't know how to do it, well, here's the opportunity. And here is the invitation. If you come to God through Jesus Christ, He's going to give you a new heart, and He's going to change your life. That's privilege number one of the new covenant, a changed heart. And here's privilege number two, a changed community. Verse 11, notice it with me. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest." In the days of the Old Covenant, no one in Israel had the law of God written on his or her mind, 
by the Spirit of God, that depth of knowledge, that change of heart, it was only going to come with the new covenant. But within the community, there was still this huge gap between faithful Israelites like Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Amos, but between them and the many unfaithful Israelites who were so often rebelling against the Lord and inviting His discipline. The prophets of old would call and would cajole an often very unwilling people to know and to serve the Lord. And there would be a remnant, a faithful, believing remnant who would want to obey, but often that would be small. As a nation, Israel was a very mixed group. But the promise is that the new covenant situation would be different. That's part of the implication of verse 11. Now, the verse isn't saying that there would be no teachers within the covenant, and we could read it that way, no teachers in the new covenant community. Well, no, the New Testament tells us that there is and that there will be, and Hebrews actually recognizes the value of teachers and gives thanks for teachers later on in, in the book. That's not what it's saying, but, but, but it is saying this. In the new covenant age, in our present age, there will be no need for one believer to cajole and to exhort another believer to know the Lord. There will be no need for that because all true believers in the new covenant will know the Lord. There will be no need for that because the Lord will live by His Spirit in the hearts of His people. Again, within the Old Covenant community, you could have an Israelite who knows or cares little for the Lord. The Israelite is born into the nation, lives within the community, but the Lord doesn't have his heart, doesn't have her heart. As a nation, it's this very mixed group. But the New Covenant community, by definition, is made up of those who know God personally. That's not to say there won't be frauds within the church. There won't be imposters in what we might call the visible church. There will, of course. But among those who are truly part of the new covenant, each one will truly, personally know the Lord. And friends, for all the flaws and all the weaknesses and all the failings of the church, this promise reminds us that we are actually part of a very, very special community. We're part of a community of people whose hearts have been changed, have been transformed by the living God through the power of His Spirit. We're part of a community of people who know the Lord and want to serve the Lord. As a teacher within the church, I don't stand as a lone voice begging or cajoling you to know the Lord. You know Him, and I encourage you as you encourage me, but as a community, we share this in common. I don't have a monopoly on the truth around here. I, I have this privilege of opening up the Word of God, but I'm so often learning from others within the church family, learning from you as you share insights from the Word of God, learning wisdom from your accumulated years of living the Christian life. And that's, that's what you would expect to be happening within a community of people who truly know God and have the Spirit of God. But this knowledge of God, it's not just intellectual, it's not just understanding, it's not just information. It is personal, it is life-changing, it is vibrant. Among us, in us, and through us, God is doing powerful things. The living God is, is changing lives. He's bringing hope to lost people. He's enabling genuine brotherly and sisterly affection to abound. He's at work meeting real needs and transforming tough situations on a number of occasions 
I've had the experience of hearing of a need within the church family. Maybe there's a newcomer to the city, a newcomer to our country, a newcomer to the church uh, who, who is in material need, or, or maybe I learn of a, a family within the church who's particularly struggling in some way, and I, I, I want to follow up, and I, I get on the phone, or I get on the email, or I tap someone's shoulder just to see if there's something we could do in this situation. And almost without fail, when I do that, I discover that members of the church family have already got there first. They're already helping. The need is already being addressed, and I'm way behind on the action. The church is very imperfect. We all know that. I sometimes feel in my role, I get a sort of bird's eye view on, on imperfections and problems and challenges. But despite our sin, despite our weaknesses, despite our failures, I still do have this to say and this to testify. The church of Jesus Christ is a community like no other community in all the world. The world can't match this. The world can't come near this. The world can't replicate what we have here. And that's not because we're particularly virtuous people in any way. No, it's not due to us. It is because the church is something that God creates and God achieves and God transforms by the power of His Spirit. A group of people who truly know God, who personally know God, it is an amazing thing. It's a remarkable thing. And you only need to go out and spend some time in the world out there and then step back in here, and the difference is palpable. The difference is tangible. The difference is remarkable. If you're a visitor here with us today, if you're an inquirer, I wonder if you sensed even something of that already. If you're exploring the faith, let me invite you to spend some time with us as a community. Observe for yourself. Draw your own conclusions. You're going to see our imperfections, no question about that. But I believe you'll also sense that there is something different about the community of the people of God. And of course, it's our longing that you would join us, that you would come to know God personally through Jesus Christ as we know Him. And the invitation is there for you. The opportunity is yours. The church is a transformed community, and it is a privilege, isn't it, to be part of it. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called A New and Greater Covenant, as we're taking a look at three key privileges we have in the New Covenant. If you've missed any part of today's broadcast, you can come to the website and you can listen there. Our website address is encounterthetruth.org, and there you can download an MP3 or stream the program through your computer or mobile device. Again, our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen online or you listen through the radio, it's all made possible because of your generosity. Thank you for giving and supporting Encounter the Truth. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by J.C. Ryle. It's called Daily Readings from All Four Gospels. It's our thank you gift to you for your gift to support. You can give online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Let's get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan. Finally, the final privilege of the new covenant. It is a change standing before God. Verse 12, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. I don't know if you're an iPhone user. I've become one a little reluctantly, but I now rely on it quite a lot. I mentioned an iPhone 
couple of weeks ago, I drew an unfavorable comparison with, with pagers. I should probably just pause to apologize for that. Someone came up and showed me their circa 1987 pager after that sermon. And I realized I was maybe treading on dangerous ground there, so I hope I didn't offend anyone. But anyway, with respect to the iPhone, just lately Apple has launched a new version of its operating system, and it's just been, I don't know if you found this, if you use an iPhone, it's just been incredibly kind of glitchy and full of bugs. And for me, certain things that I just rely on haven't been working properly over the last couple of weeks. They've uh, released a number of updates and, and fixes in recent days. And with each one, I'm kind of hopeful maybe this will get the thing working properly again and my life will get back to normal, you know. Um, and each time I go through the process and do the update and wait for it and the problem isn't fixed, the latest update and fix this week made the thing work properly for a grand total of one call and then it started misbehaving again. I'm sure they'll sort it out, but it feels like an endless cycle just at the minute. We know that the fundamental problem at the heart of humanity is the problem of sin, the problem of our guilt before the holy God who is the judge of all. It's an objective problem for us because we will have to stand before Him and give an account and it is a personal problem as well because we're aware of our guilt. We carry guilt, and our own sense of guilt can burden us and even condemn us. Under the Old Testament, there were provisions made for dealing with sin. But as we've said before in this Hebrews series, these provisions were never final. It was like the update that never actually fixed the phone. You never arrived. You never got there as we have before, you just picture and imagine that ancient Israelite making the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the Day of Atonement ceremony at the temple. This pilgrim making their way up there, feeling burdened by sin, having perhaps waited a number of months to have a particular sin lifted and dealt with and cleansed at the temple. He or she goes to the priest the offering is made, the priest comes out of the Holy of Holies and gives the assurance that the Lord has accepted the sacrifice. And so the pilgrim begins the journey home feeling that the weight has been lifted, feeling the sense of relief. But before the family has made it even out of the gates of Jerusalem, there's been an argument. Ungracious words have been spoken. The list of wrongs to bring back next year, the burden of sin to carry, it's already growing heavier. Under the Old Covenant, animal sacrifices were made that acted as placeholders. They acted as signs that the Lord was willing to forgive sin and would forgive sin, but those sacrifices could not and would not achieve forgiveness. But at the heart of the new covenant is the self-offering of our great high priest at Calvary, the self-offering that would actually, truly, and substantially deal with the problem of sin. The offering by which the seemingly endless cycle would be ended. And Jeremiah, he spoke of that day. He couldn't possibly have known all the details, I don't think, of what God would do, but he spoke of it, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. It's an awful thing, isn't it, to do something wrong, to sin against the Lord, to hurt another person, and to just wish that you could wind back the clock, turn back the clock, and undo the thing you did, revoke the words you said. You just wish that you could forget 
that it had ever happened. And of course, we all have things that we wish we could undo, things we wish we could forget. When others sin against us, we, we learn to forgive them, but it's near impossible to learn to forget what's been done. But here is the promise of what God would do in the new covenant. Here is the promise of what He now has done in Jesus. End of the verse, I will remember their sins no more. I remember when I first learned as a child that God would choose not to recall my sin. What a glorious discovery that is. What a wonderful truth it is. Astounding. Forget, not in the sense that God simply cannot remember. You know, all of history is as an instant before His eyes, and He does know all things. But He doesn't remember because our sin is dealt with through Jesus. It is paid for, atoned for, covered, judged, forgiven. And because it is dealt with, God chooses not to remember it, not to bring it to mind, not to recall it, not to raise it against us ever again. He remembers it no more. Friends, I don't know what guilt you may be carrying today. I don't know what memory of sin may be weighing you down. But if you're burdened by anything that you've done, let me just leave you with verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 8. Here's the glorious truth. If you belong to Jesus, the Lord has dealt mercifully with your iniquities, and He has committed not to remember your sin anymore. And because of that, you have been set free you don't need to live in the shadow of that sin anymore. You don't need to live under the crushing weight of that guilt anymore. And if you aren't yet His, if you don't yet know the Lord Jesus, this promise can be yours too. It can be yours if you will simply come to God through Jesus, through repentance and faith in Him. And the wrongdoing which you carry can be set aside by the God who will choose not to recall it against you, who will choose to forget it. Friends, we live in the greatest age of history, the most wonderful era of history, the age of the new covenant in Christ. Let's simply rejoice today in all that we have, in a changed heart, in a changed community and a changed standing before a holy God. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth. Our message, A New and Greater Covenant, as today we've been looking at three key privileges we have in the New Covenant. If you've missed any part of this broadcast or you want to go back and listen again, you can do that by coming to our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is able to stay on the station each day because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you this beautiful devotional book called Daily Readings from All Four Gospels. It's from J.C. Ryle. 
And uh, Jonathan, that's a name that probably not all of us are familiar with. So tell me a little bit about J.C. Ryle and his writings. Well, yeah, this isn't uh, a recently written book. In fact, the author has been in heaven for some time. J.C. Ryle is uh, a hero of evangelical history. He was actually a bishop in the Church of England in the 19th century, but he led the cause for gospel ministry and for sticking to the Word of God in his time and in, in his place. And his writings have really stood the test of time. His work on the Gospels are just treasures uh, for us to explore in our day. And in this particular volume, some of his teaching on the Gospels has been broken down into daily chunks for us to feed on as we open up the Word of God. And I think that as you do that, you will see why it is we still read J.C. Ryle more than a century after he put pen to paper. Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book from J.C. Ryle. Again, it's called Daily Readings from All Four Gospels. Our thank you as you give a gift to support. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-998-7884. That might be easier to remember as 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening and your support. Hope you'll join us again next time.